having a singular focus on what your intention is that will get you out of your head and more having a more outward approach to how you communicate to your audience. This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalife. So I recently meet Colin Egglesfield through a mutual friend. We become good friends, in fact. You know, and his story is very interesting, going from an actor, which a lot of you may know, in Melrose Place, The Client List, All My Children, and then transitioning into becoming an entrepreneur, a speaker, and an author. He recently uh, published a book called The Agile Artist, which is really geared towards both speakers, actors, and just kind of the general public about tackling those limiting beliefs, becoming a better communicator, which lends itself well to the courses he has online, both Inspire and Camera Ready, which you could find on his site. Post his acting career, Colin delves into real estate, which we'll talk about on the podcast. So let's jump in. I have to ask, and I've been asking my guests this, and I'm sure people are tired of this now, but uh, how have you been dealing with this whole transition? Uh, Work from home, quarantine. Are you feeling good, first of all? You keep insane? Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really started talking to the walls yet, so I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> You're um, beating me, dude. Yeah, although, uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, business has been pretty much usual because I do a lot of stuff from home anyway. Um, so for me, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, as an actor, entrepreneur, we spend a lot of time on our own. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, with, with acting, you'll work for anywhere between, you know, a couple of days on a guest star role, upwards of uh, nine months on a TV show. But the average actor, usually when they're employed in a job, a film can take anywhere between two to six weeks. And then you're back out looking for your next job. So a lot of the times, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the times um, I'm just by myself. Uh, mm. So this really hasn't been a total a total shift for me. Um, what has been different is that uh, I'm looking at ways in which to get more creative with how to shift what I was doing into meeting the demands of what is the current reality. So I was supposed to be on tour right now with my one man show. I had like 22 cities set up. I was planning on going to, uh, you know, pretty much all over the country because I put together a, a one man show based on my book, uh, Agile Artist, that I wrote that came out last year. And uh, it's the name of the show is called No, I'm Not Tom Cruise, a Midwesterner's guide on how to succeed in Hollywood and beyond. Because nice. every other day in Hollywood, I would get compared to Tom Cruise. And so I can see I mean, the similarity, though, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not use it, right? J- just taller and more handsome, right, Colin? Is that is that? <laughs> I mean, you said, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll Come take on, it. I have to give you but, that. Uh, but yeah, so now a lot of what I'm doing is pivoting, pivoting to uh, online course creation. Uh, I just put together this course behind I me. I saw that on IG. Camera ready. Yeah. And that course is teaching people all about how to get over their fear of being in front of the camera. Um, and especially nowadays with everyone being at home, everything is done in front of the camera on Zoom calls. And uh, even before this, I would meet a lot of people who were, whether they were like real estate agents or salespeople or uh, anyone looking to generate more leads or influence, a lot of this, a lot of everything that is uh, going on is shifting to online. And if you're not online, you're essentially, you kind of don't exist. Um, But the big barrier is people just have not been trained how to present themselves on camera. There's a different cadence to speaking on camera than there is conversational style. There's uh, different ways to catch people's attention. You got to be aware of the different personality audience types. And this is everything that we learn as actors um, that I have now put into this course to uh, teach people how to be effective in front of the camera. Because you may be the best real estate agent, you may be the best salesperson, but when it comes to being on camera, how do you translate those skills to communicating that through a lens and plastic when a lot of the times people are just like, oh, I hate the way I look. I hate the way I sound. I can't do this, you know? And yeah. it's, it just really comes down to um, a little bit of some strategy and, and uh, mindset stuff that I've learned with the over 20 years experience working in Hollywood 
with some of the best actors in the business and having been trained by some of the top acting teachers in the world. Mm. Well, it's also interesting from a psychology perspective. I remember when I first launched this podcast and I was always, you know, obviously I had some introvertedness. I was, you know, shy as a kid because I was just chubby with a mushroom cut. So I blame that on my mom. But, uh, you know, over time, <laughs> I, I just built kind of confidence, right? And, and, but, but, the, but the funny thing is, even though I was a very good presenter, the first time I did my podcast and, and I had the camera in front of my face, something weird happened. And I still have the first episode. And you can see I'm stuttering. I was very nervous. Uh, and it, it just was, it was very weird to have this thing in front of you. And uh, immediately my, my kind of uh, energy shifted. So how did you build that confidence um, to get into acting and get comfortable with the camera? Obviously, with that experience, what kind of lessons did you learn? Yeah, so a lot of it has to do with just getting um, shifting your focus from inside of you and what people are thinking of you as you are talking. Because as when we're when we're talking to a human being in front of us, it's we can read their we can read the reaction. We can you know we can nod in agreement. We can um, uh, there's, there's not, there's something that we can focus on other than this inanimate piece of glass and plastic in front of us. And when we're mm. looking at a camera, what our brain ends up doing is because we don't have something to focus on, we're more conscious about us and how we look and how we're going to be perceived by whoever is watching this, this video or who's watching the, the Instagram live or whatever it is. Is and the shift that we are taught as actors is focus on what your intention is. So, if you as actors, we look at a scene, we have to break it down. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, What does my character want in this scene? Is it to get the girl? Is it to get the money out of the safe in the bank? Or is it to, uh, is it to find out a piece of information from someone who is reluctant to give it to you? And by having a singular focus on what your intention is that will get you out of your head and more having a more outward approach to how you communicate to your audience. And uh, so different strategies are, if you think about talking to your best friend on the other, just imagine on the other end of the, the camera where you're doing a video, make it as conversational as possible. And when you're talking to someone, it's not just, you're not just relaying information your communication has more, communication is more than just about information. It's about causing a change or causing some sort of impact or reaction with whoever it is that you're talking to. Um, I mean, obviously sometimes we are just relaying certain bits of information, but if we really want to cause true connection, mm -hmm. it's more than just what you say because only 7% only of communication is actually verbal. 93% of communication is nonverbal, which is the way you say th your tone, the way you, the way you say things, your energy, when you show up, mm -hmm. um, there's a difference between when I talk to you like this, George, than when I talk like this and when you're on camera, you have to talk a little bit faster. And when I see some people just kind of talk and they hide their voice in there. And so when you're thinking about when you're being on camera, you essentially have to talk almost like 25 to 30% faster. Yeah. And so there's some of these, some of this stuff that you just have to practice. And, mm -hmm. uh, and with my course, I give you some exercises and how to practice just getting quicker and faster and uh, how to alter your, your tone, your cadence, which causes you to have a little more variety so that you're not putting people to sleep by just having that, that singular kind of delivery. And there's also something like even in the, in the corporate world, you know, sometimes when we're doing meetings, I find that if the energy is, is kind of, let, let's say baseline, you know, uh, you know, we've been there for an hour and, and you almost start mimicking other people's energy, right? So you find if like the tone is here, for example, and I'm speaking like this, it's kind of monotone. All of a sudden, you're not going to be, I don't know if you want to be that guy who's gonna be like, Hey, everybody. All right. Let's, let's, you know, let's bring it back. Let's bring some positivity into this. So it's kind of interesting. How would you, how would you bring back that energy if you are, let's say, in a meeting or let's say you're hosting a, a webinar, for example, you want to look genuine, but you also don't want to look high on cokers, you know, like you want to, you want right. <laughs> to show some sort of normalcy. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you think about like, what are you passionate about, passionate about in life, George? Mm. If I were to ask you, what would you say? 
Uh, so I would say entrepreneurship for the most part and self-development, just improving myself every day. Those are two things I'm very passionate about. Okay. And so, I mean, the, the key is to find something and do something in life that you're passionate about. Now, I guarantee you there's things about being an entrepreneur that you don't like. 100%. There's, there's like the emails and the phone calls and the sometimes you got you to gotta talk to people you just wish they would just... <laughs> take a long walk off a short pier, as they say. Politically, yeah. If you are passionate about what you do and you're connected to that that inspiring future that you have for yourself. So for me, like going out to Hollywood, my inspiring future was to be a movie star. Mm. So going to my acting classes and going to my voice classes and being stuck in traffic on the 405 for two hours to go to an audition, I hate traffic. But I knew that once I got to that audition, it was my opportunity to do what I love to do for that 10 minutes with the possibility mm -hmm. of booking that job to then be able to be on set and kiss Kate Hudson. And <laughs> you got to have that, that inspiring future so that when you're in the boardroom, you may not be excited about what it is you are exactly saying, but if you just keep reminding yourself, what is the bigger mm -hmm. picture? And I think what really great leaders do, great CEOs do, they give their employees a, a strong enough vision so that they don't just feel like they're employee number 422, but they make people feel that employee number 422 is actually contributing to the bigger mission, the bigger vision of that company. So there's the story of John F. Kennedy during the space program um, went to go visit NASA and he asked some woman who was sweeping the floor, uh, you know, how she was doing and just introduced himself. He says, you know, very nice to meet you, Mr. President. Uh, you know, I'm, and he, I think he asked her what she did or whatever. And, and, uh, and she said, I'm helping. She didn't say I'm, I'm the maintenance person. You know, my job is to clean the floors. Her response was, I help put him, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Mm. So even someone who is, who's their, their job is to just sweep the floor and keep NASA clean. Her higher connection or higher purpose was in her own special way. She was helping put Neil Armstrong on the moon. And that's where I think employees and CEOs or uh, CEOs and leaders would do their companies and everyone associated with their organization, the biggest uh, service to, to, to everyone involved in that they enroll people in that bigger picture of what, why, why are you in that boardroom meeting? Is it just to make more money for your shareholders? Or is it because you're really looking to make a, a, an important, interesting, and uh, impactful product? And mm -hmm. you look at how Apple does business compared to Microsoft, and Apple, uh, Simon Sinek, who's another motivational speaker, he has a, a book. The Infinite Game. Uh, the, yeah, The Infinite Game. And he talks about right, yeah. how Apple's philosophy is different from Microsoft's in the sense that Apple started with a philosophy of think different. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, they allow people to think different by creating beautiful machinery that helps you allow, that helps uh, facilitate you to think differently. Whereas Microsoft is, we're a computer company that builds hardware uh, or software so that people can do their jobs. And so it's important to have um, the two biggest components when being on camera is having that strong intention to circle back to your original question, how do you, you know, get over that? Having that strong intention of, why are you communicating what you're communicating so that the focus is not on you or how you sound, but it's more so mm -hmm. I'm a real estate agent. And when I'm doing this online video, I am talking to everyone out there who's looking to find a new home. I love to help people find a place where their little kids can run down the stairs and be excited about, you know, Christmas presents under the Christmas tree and, grandma's at the stove cooking stew. And that's what I do. I help uh, families find their, their new home. And that's more of a transformational communication 
where you can connect with that instead of just standing there being like, hi, I'm Colin Egglesfield and I sell houses with ABC Real Estate and I've got a great three bed, two bath house. So if you want to come take a look at it, feel free to email me at Colin at JoeBlowRealEstate.com. Report of spam. You know, it's like, <laughs> so when you are connected to what you're passionate about in an inspiring future yeah, and, uh, and then uh, there's certain little mindset tricks like I, I shared about talking to your best friend, little mm -hmm. things like that that help you uh, get over that hump of, of feeling self-conscious. And I, in my course, I, uh, again, I have some uh, exercises and worksheets that help you get specific to what it is that you are looking to do with your business or your communication that helps you really hone in on what, uh, what it is that you need to work on. When would you say was your big break in acting? Uh, when I got cast as the transplanted, unaborted fetus of Erica Kane on the soap <laughs> opera, All My Children. Interesting. Yeah, I was uh, 32 years old and I'd been studying acting for about eight years. Okay. And uh, I was living in Los Angeles at the time because... Uh, Three years prior, I was living across the street from the World Trade Center when all that happened. And I literally, from my 18th floor window, saw the flames and people hanging out of the windows of the World Trade Center. And uh, I saw people leaping out of the windows. It was horrendous. And then I saw the second plane hit. And uh, at that point, um, the first tower started to fall down and we all went running down the street and it was just a horrendous experience. And it was two weeks before I was able to get back into my apartment. And when I did, my windows had been blown in. It looked like a bomb had blown up inside of my apartment and the, uh, the management company of the building made us all move out of the building to, so they could do structural repairs. So I was essentially homeless. And at that point I'd only done two minor little acting roles in my in my career. So the idea of going out to Hollywood to pursue, you know, a professional acting career was kind of daunting to say the least, because I didn't really, I didn't really know anyone in Hollywood. Um, I had one friend out there who I had gone to college with and she worked at a, a flower shop. So she said, yeah, come on out. I crashed on her couch. Um, and I just was out, I went out there on a mission. And what really was the defining moment for me was, thinking about the people that were trapped up in those towers and uh it was like a wake-up call yeah that life could end in an instant and do you want to be 80 years old and look back and say sitting in the retirement home and say man i why didn't i just go out to hollywood and give it a shot why did i care so much about what people thought of me mm. why did you know what's what the worst I really thing that could happen to do yeah. yeah and uh you know my acting classes I, there would be people who were doctors and lawyers and business people who would come into my acting classes. And I, you know, I'd got to know them and they were like, I'd be like, why, what are you doing here? And they'd be like, well, yeah, you know, I've, I've got a good job. I, I'm making really good money, but I'm just not fulfilled. This is what I've always wanted to do. But I always felt the pressure of going to school and going to get the job and become the lawyer. But that's not what I really want to do. And, um, for me, it was, I, I, I just got really connected to uh, storytelling and, and I'm very passionate, I think you can tell, about communication and, uh, and just inspiring people and having an impact on people. And, and that's what my book is really all about. It's all about um, getting clear on what it is that you're passionate about and then how to overcome the, the challenges and the obstacles that stand in the way not only from these limiting beliefs, but also um, just from what your environment is, you know, logistically, you know, and the name of my book is Agile Artist because nowadays, I don't care what you do, you've got to be incredibly agile to be able to succeed. You know, no longer do we live in a culture where you work at a job for 50 years and then retire with the pension and the gold watch. Nowadays, the average amount of, jobs that uh, someone has in their career is 12. So the average is people will change jobs 12 times in their lifetime. 
Um, not to mention all the side hustles that people have on the side. Mm -hmm. um, we're just in that gig economy now where people are doing a lot of different things. And if you really look at what wealthy people do, they have multiple streams of income. Right. And so as someone who was uh, out in Hollywood and I would get these really nice paychecks, but then I would live off of them for like six months or a year before I would get my next acting job, I was like, this is stupid. I, I've got to find a way to invest Sustain. this more wisely so that I'm not just living off, you know, the, the money that I've put into the stock market and then having to sell stocks just to pay my rent every month. That's mm -hmm. why I got into real estate and I've got a couple of rental properties in the South side of Chicago and uh, I got my broker's license and uh, I moved back here from Hollywood because the, uh, just the, the sustainability of waiting six months for your next acting job. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I love to act. So I'm not giving up acting, but what I'm doing is being agile and pivoting to the point where I want to create a financial, um, some more financial stability with, with me so that when I do go back out to Hollywood, I'm not going into these auditions saying, crap, I better book this job. Otherwise, I'm not, not going to be able to pay my rent this month. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's why I came back to Chicago because the real estate market here, there's a lot more opportunity to start. Home prices in in California and rental properties are just Ridiculous. astronomical. And yeah. here in Chicago, you can buy a house for fifty thousand dollars, rehab it, and uh, and make twenty percent on your money. Um, so that's that's what I've been doing for the past two years. And in the meantime, wrote this book and uh, put together a sizzle reel for a reality real estate show that three of the other people that I work with in my, my brokerage um, were looking now, we're shopping that to, uh, to networks to see if we can get our own show going. And then, uh, and then, yeah, this one man show that I was planning on doing. That's pretty cool, man. Well, I love, I love the fact that you bring agile into this. And I think what's even more interesting is like, if you look at acting, I remember when I first did my first musical in high school, it was Annie and I played Mr. Warbucks. Like it, nice. it, it seemed very weird to me at the time, right? Especially in high school. I'm like, I'm going to lose a lot of social currency here, but it's, uh, it's interesting how that actually helped me in business later on, right? Whether it's with communicating or presenting or having that comfort, you're taking all those skills from acting and you're just tricking them into whether it's real estate whether it's the show that you're doing, whether it's those lessons learned, putting them in a book or a course. So I love that agility in you. And, and did you find it hard to go from, you know, the client list, Jennifer Love Hewitt, to back to Chicago and then sitting down and, and you know, studying for a real estate exam? Like those two shifts seem astronomical, dude. Yeah, well, the thing was, I was a, I have a degree in biology, pre-med mm. from University of Iowa. So I was planning on going that route anyway. Okay. So having gone through college and taken the MCAT, the reason why I ended up in this whole Hollywood thing was because my senior year of college, I heard on the radio uh, in, at, on a cold February night um, <laughs> in Iowa City, coming home from my waitering job, come to the Model Search America next Tuesday night at the Davenport Holiday Inn. And I was like, modeling, huh? They were like, travel the world and, you know, see whatever make have adventure and i was like that sounds pretty cool it sounds kind of crazy but i don't know so a lot of what i talk about is just showing up half of mm. life is just showing up so i was like i'll go check it out i mean who i mean how crazy could it be so i showed up with this model talent search thing got hooked up with this talent agent and uh next thing you know i was in milan italy doing runway shows for giorgio armani and gianni versace and having private dinners, sitting next to Elton John and the Spice Girls and Naomi Campbell. And I was like, this is crazy. What is happening? <laughs> this is what is happening. But I was always like, this will probably last a year or two and then I'll go to medical school. Uh, yeah. But one thing just kept leading to another and I ended up in New York City and then on my way into this acting class. And uh, much like you as an introvert growing up, I, uh, I was just always kind of more on the shy side. Didn't like to draw attention to myself. I was had the braces and headgear and I was just geeky and I knew I just was bleh. but as I got older you know I started playing football and lifted weights and so I started getting a little more confidence and then uh, jumped into this acting class and I was a like, boom 
what an amazing experience to just feel alive, to feel everything that the human experience is all about. Because I think a lot of the times we grow up not encouraged, especially as men, we're not encouraged necessarily to share our deepest, darkest secrets. And uh, once I got onto all my children, uh, six months into my three-year contract on there, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer and uh, had a surgery and radiation treatment. So I was going between my radiation appointments where you afterwards you just feel like you want to throw up and then having to go to set where you've got to be the epitome of manlyhood on a soap opera, you know, getting, doing these bedroom <laughs> scenes with these, you know, beautiful women. But I didn't tell anyone at work that I was going through this experience because I, as a man, was like, oh, this is my business. It's a hard one. Yeah. I, I need to just, you know, I, I don't, I can't Cover tell it up. about this. This is manly stuff. This is like, I'm, I'm brave. I can handle it. Um, but after a few weeks of going through radiation treatment, I just, I broke down on set one day because I couldn't, I felt so sick and I felt like I couldn't hold it in anymore. And, and I think people could tell that something wasn't right. And I learned that as soon as I opened up and was vulnerable about what I was going through, uh, I realized their strength and vulnerability because my whole mm. community showed up and some of the other actors on set would, they came with me to my, uh, my doctor's appointments where I would have to get chest x-rays and blood tests and CAT scans. And then the cancer came back a year later, had to have another surgery. So that whole three years of my first real steady acting job, I thought it was going to be like the best time in the world for me, which it was, but at the same time, it was the worst time in Personally, my life. Yeah. So at the same time, I'm having the most amazing experience that I'd worked eight years to finally have. And yet at the same this time, moment. I don't know if I'm going to freaking live another day. I, it was like craziness. And so how do you, how do how you, did you manage that? that? Well, how did you uh, manage that? Like, I what, just what? focused on what I could do every day. And what, what helped me was having some some place to go to mm. with my acting and having that script where I would just focus on putting all of my angst and all of my fear, all my frustration into my work. And right. that's the great thing about having a creative outlet like acting because um, you're encouraged to put all of yourself, all of your emotions, all of your, all of you into the role. Whereas I think in, in you know, normal society, normal jobs, if, uh, I don't know, like if a, a medical sales person came into a hospital and the doctor said, you know, how you doing? And they were like, well, I just feel like I can't take this anymore. And I just hate my boss. And I, like, you, they think you were crazy. Um, so we've got to be composed and we've got, oh, hey, Ted, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you, Dr. Michelson? Uh, everything's great. The kids are fine. We had, went to the vacation and then you leave and you're like, there was nothing authentic about that. That was just people you know, exchanging pleasantries. And that's what really frustrates me about, uh, what frustrated me about Hollywood because you've got to be so honest in front of the camera, but then you go to these Hollywood parties with all these like A-list actors, and celebrities and managers and agents and everyone's just like, oh baby, what's up? Oh my God, you were so amazing in that movie. And we have to work together and we should do lunch. And it's all just like, I can't do that shit, oh, man. Shit, man. It's just oh, like, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, well, you know, it's what's funny about what you're talking about. It's very, uh, it, it resonates a lot with me in real time because, so my girlfriend's studying psychology and we watched, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Brene Brown's uh, Netflix special or TEDx talk, but she talks about like vulnerability. I've seen uh, her speak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, great speaker, right? It kind of yeah. talked about vulnerability and stuff. And it's funny because we were talking about that in, in my world, you know, in the sales slash you know, finance, capital markets, there's always this like this, this persona that you have to put on, right? And especially in business, it's difficult. It's, and also, if you want to be like a leader that you don't think of vulnerability as a strength, you th always think of it as a weakness, right? Like you always right. have to put this facade that I'm, you know, everything is, is great out there and, you know, we're, we're going to stay positive and I know it's difficult, but we're going to get through it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, there's always these buts. Am I... Uh, my girlfriend was kind of talking about how sometimes when you when you open up and you are more vulnerable and, and you really kind of show that, that true emotion in the moment, it actually is a very 
very strong signal. Um, and it allows you to connect yeah. with people differently, right? Like now you're a human. Yeah. I'm not just connecting with Colin, my colleague. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, if you've seen any of uh, Governor Cuomo from New York's uh, speeches about speeches what's been recently. going on over there. He's probably I, the most genuine dude. Yeah. Yeah. What I really like about what, how he communicates is that he says, yeah, look, uh, this is scary. I mean, the, my brother has it and, you know, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to contain this, but we, we just need everyone to, to band together here and work together to help overcome this. It's not bluster. It's not inauthenticity. It's not, yeah, we're going to get over through, we're going to through, we're going to get through this and we're going to do, you know, um, I think in order to really, again, be a great leader, great CEO, it's in order to get people from where they're at to where you want them to be, you've got to meet them where they're at. You mm -hmm. can't just be over here and be like, yo, come over here. Come on. You've got to really get in their world and be like, okay, well, you know, all right. Yes. How are you feeling? What, what's going on? And when someone feels heard, their, their anxiety levels drop. It alleviates the point where, okay, at least now I feel like someone understands where I'm at. They understand what I'm going through. And this person who's on TV, he's saying what I'm feeling. So now I feel connection to him. Okay. So now I feel connected. Now right. tell me, where do we go from here? Yeah, yeah. And I think leaders sometimes try to just get people to come to where they're at and it's impossible until you really, as they say, you know, stand in someone else's shoes. Mm. Yeah, because it's almost like you're saying one thing, but then you look outside the window and it's like, it's pretty gloomy out, you know, and obviously you can still be positive, but it doesn't mean you should be tone deaf, right? And kind of paint a, a rosy picture. Um, and, and I kind of think for, for you and especially coming out with that story, it's super difficult, man. Like for you, not only did you have, a, a, you know, a very personal thing to deal with, uh, and it's kind of draining you physically and mentally, but then you have to go on set where literally the, the camera is on you. Everybody's around you. You're filming these more vulnerable scenes with, you know, women and you have to be very masculine in your nature. Yeah. Uh, it must've been super difficult, dude. Like I can only imagine, man, like when you're trying to cover that up. Yeah. Yeah. But it really, uh, you know, they say if it doesn't kill you. It just makes you stronger. And I think if it doesn't kill you, it also created my awareness of compassion and appreciation for, for just every day. Mm. And uh, I think sometimes we get just in that autopilot mode of going to work every day, coming home, open a bottle of wine, watch Netflix. And, you know, we just kind of, we just kind of exist almost mm. as automatons. And I think now, I think the, if you try to look at the silver lining of what's going on right now, it's really having us essentially push the reset button on our lives and be like, okay, what am I going to do? And this is very similar to what happened to me after 9-11 and after my cancer experience where I wasn't able to live in my apartment anymore. I was homeless. I didn't have a job. What do I do? And if you just start asking yourself creative questions because you look at you, we, anyone can look at the experience of going on right now. A lot of people are losing their jobs and you could mm -hmm. focus on shit. I just lost my job. I, how am I going to pay my rent? I've got all these bills or you can focus on asking yourself, what am I good at? What right. could I do? What's out there? What, how could I take what I already know and deliver it in a new way? When CDs came out and the record industry essentially overnight crumbled what did record companies do? Did they just sit and bitch and complain or did they find a new way to apply what they knew how to do into something new? Or you look at VHS tapes and Netflix. I mean, things change. And I think we naively think that they, they're not going to. And we get mm. so attached to things that we think are always gonna stay the way they are. We're like, oh, the good old days. Remember the good old days? You just live and, in the past. And it's important to just appreciate every day for what it is because having the experiences that I've had, these life-altering experiences make you appreciate every day and know that every day is a gift and look at it from a sense of adventure and curiosity 
much like when you were a little kid and be like, okay, how can I, you've gotten, you've gotten to where you're at in life this far, George, you obviously have found a way to be creative enough to get to where you're at. Mm -hmm. So if you just keep applying that everything that you've done, you figured out a way before you will figure out another way. A lot of people who have lost their jobs. When I got let go from all my children, my contract, my three-year contract was done. A lot of people and all my children were there for years and I got comfortable there and I was like, oh yeah, when my contract ends, I'm sure they'll offer me a new three-year contract and I'm just going to stay here. Money was good. I was finally getting over my cancer experience and I was getting healthy and I was like, all right, now I'm good. Let's just sign this new contract. And my producer called me up one day and said, hey, Colin, how you doing? I was like, good. She's like, okay, cool. So we're, uh, we're you know, your contract is, is coming to an end here. And I thought she was going to say, so we're going to negotiate with it. your agent and talk about it. She said, so we're going to be killing your character off. Mm. You're what? like, what? <laughs> you just, we, after my whole cancer experience with you guys, you said we were family. Mm. Now you're killing my character off. And immediately my mind was like, do they not like me? Do I, am I a horrible actor? Am I, so my, your brain can go to that negative space. But after I hung up the phone, I was like, what do I really want? Did I want to be in a soap opera for the rest of my life? Did I get into acting to become a soap opera actor? And when I answered that question, honestly, I was like, no. And then I said, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to do with my career? I said, I, I literally thought about Tom Cruise. And I was like, Top Gun, Jerry Maguire. That's the kind of stuff I want to be doing. He just recreates himself so much too. What's that? Like he, he, on the Tom Cruise thing, he has the ability just to recreate himself. You know, it's kind yeah. of like Robert Downey Jr., what he did with Doolittle recently. You know, he just wanted to put himself in like an uncomfortable position. Like you go from fucking Iron Man to Doolittle, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And that's what great actors do. And that's how you have longevity. But uh, when, I, when I started to really think about, was I being honest with myself mm. on this show? Because when we get fired from a job, we can blame a lot of people and be like, oh, my boss was a jerk or that person did it. But if you just start to look at how was I, ask the question, how was I responsible for what just happened to me? Right. What choices, what choices led to this basically? And how was I responsible for those choices? Because as soon as you start taking ownership for your life, then there's power. You can start from there. But if you say like, oh, well, I got fired. They let me go. That's a disempowering place to live or to, to approach problem solving with. And so our brains are supercomputers. If you give it the right question, it will give you the answer. So whether you ask a negative question or a empowering question, it will give you the answer. Like, why am I an idiot? Why could I be so stupid? Your brain will be like, well, cause you did this and you're dumb. And, or if you ask yourself, how can I find a new job? What mm. do I really want? Ask yourself empowering questions. And it's crazy when I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I didn't want to be at all my children. And I think energetically, subconsciously, when I was yeah. showing up for work, probably they could tell I didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And so they were, the universe or whoever was giving me my wish subconsciously. Because I think when you really tap into your subconscious and really ask yourself truthfully, do I want to be here at this job? Do I want to be here in this relationship? Do I want to be wherever I'm at? And if you can't honestly say yes, people can tell. Your energy shows up a different way. And on my last day of shooting all my children, this is kind of crazy. When I thought about, when I really asked myself, what kind of career do I want to have? I was like, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. My last day of shooting, I finished my scene with Susan Lucci, who was my TV mom. And it was emotional because after three years, I really felt like these people were family and I, I, you know, I was like was saying goodbye to everyone. And I was like, you know, everyone we were tearing up, whatever. And we then broke for lunch cause we finished the scene. And one of the crew guys came into the studio cause after everyone left the studio, I just wanted to take a few minutes to just be 
on the studio in the moment last time to take it all in and reminisce about all my three years experience there. And one of the crew members came in. He's like, Oh, Hey, Colin, your brother's over across the hall at the view and the view soundstage where, you know, the talk show, the view they Mm -hmm. shoot was across the hall from where we shot all my children. I was like, my brother, my brother, this was in New York. (laughs) My brother lives in Chicago and he's a pilot for Southwest airlines. I'm like, what's my brother doing here in New York? So I go across the hall to the view and I, I peek in. Guess who was the, go, the guest uh, on the view that day? Your bro? Tom Cruise. Oh, shit. Because I get compared to Tom Cruise a lot. The crew guy was making a joke. He was oh. like, yeah, your brother's over across the hall. Oh, that my God. is who I had said a few weeks prior when I was dealing with this whole thing, who do I want to be? What do wow. I want to do? What kind of career That's do I want to have? And I, I was like, this is a sign <laughs> from the acting gods. And I stood there and he was signing autographs and taking pictures with everyone in the studio. And I waited till everyone left, finished. And I walked up to him. I said, Tom, how you doing? My name is Colin. Uh, I just wanted to, to tell you, you've been huge inspiration for me and my career. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And uh, he was like, oh, nice to meet you, Colin. And it was kind of crazy. It was like, you know, I'm meeting Fan Tom girly. Cruise for the first time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I told him you know, I worked over at all my children and that I was planning on going back out to Hollywood. And he was like, awesome, man. He's like, good luck. And then he was like, do you want to take a picture? And I was like, yeah, sure. And there was a photographer. So took our picture, you know, and then. I mean, there's, that just has to be, wow. so I went back out to Los Angeles and as crappy as I felt about getting let go from all my children, what did it lead to? It led to me booking Melrose Place, the reboot, which then led to my movie I did with Kate Hudson, Something Borrowed, which led to the TV show with Jennifer Love Hewitt which led to a movie with Gary Oldman, which led to a movie with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Now, back when I got fired from all my children, I was like pissed off. But in my heart, when you really look about it, look at it, I, I was now living what I had really in my heart wanted to, to live. And so we gotta be careful about being responsible about what it is, what kind of life we're creating for ourselves. Because whether you vocally consciously are creating your life or subconsciously you are creating your life mm. yeah and this this story is well first of all a phenomenal story uh i actually didn't know these the, these kind of micro pieces of it but what i love about it is, is i can resonate so much as well uh especially when you were saying like in the moment it feels it feels crappy right it feels like the whole world's coming down and for you especially as an actor because this is a, a character that you're uh, you're you're sort of personifying right that you're living this character for three freaking years uh and you're on set with other people who you're always yeah. with and always talking to so it's not only kind of a detachment from that it's life a but breakup. it's a right it's a it's breakup a from the character yeah yeah, yeah. That, that must be weird like uh recently i saw if you know the show breaking bad um you know the brother-in-law i can't I remember his name now but the fda agent like the the guy who's on yeah the, yeah i can't remember his name I can't but anyways I was seeing like behind the, the, the scenes footage of his last uh, episode when he got shot and, and dies, uh, but how emotional that was on for him, sorry. And they were trying to do the take, but he's crying. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it, so yeah, it kind of brings that picture up. Yeah. It, it must be uh, tough. Yeah, it, you, you get attached. And, and that's what I talk about too in my book is how do you get over that separation? How do you, how do you heal after after that kind of uh, change in your life, whether it's losing a job or divorce, you know, how, how do you move forward? And a lot of it just has to do with doing the little things every day that make you mm-hmm. feel better, whether it's working out, you know, um, being kind to yourself, eating some ice cream, like, but then also <laughs> doing something that's healthy with like working out. Working out is incredibly important with regards to healing and um and just moving forward the more you're able to do something that's constructive for yourself 
the more, the faster you're going to get out of where you're at and move forward. And you got to understand we human beings, we are resilient. We do not stay depressed or sad um, for too long. Now, some people have medical issues that, you know, that they are dealing with chemical imbalances, but I'm saying in general, when we go through bad experiences in our lives, we go through that grieving process, but it doesn't last forever. And like my dad passed away three years ago and my mom obviously devastated. And now three years later, she's now, she, you know, when I talk to her, she's finally now saying, I feel like I'm now not waking up every morning feeling that empty pit in my stomach. She's like, I'm now I feel like I'm getting to a place now where I'm accepting my new normal. And you know what? Now I kind of have the freedom to do what I want to do. And she's now able to, to decide and she's moving back to Chicago from where she lives. But um, she's now able to like kind of create her own life again and, and get back to where she is, she's at. So just, I, I always tell people to remember that this too shall pass. You know, this mm. things are only temporary. Good things and bad things are temporary. <laughs> I love that advice. Well, one thing I did want to ask you as well is uh, talking about, especially as an, well, one as an actor, but then when, when you transition, as an actor, you've had different roles, different characters. When you transition from acting, now you have the role of, you know, on the real estate side, on the entrepreneur side with your own courses online, as an author with your book, how were you able to sort of transition your identity through these different, characters throughout your career because that can that's something everybody goes through right whether it's a career or or passions that you that you kind of live by whatever the case is well that's the fun part about Mm -hmm. acting is getting to play different characters and i think in our own little way we're all actors and we we all you know dial up different parts of our personalities and as ryan gosling says whenever he's doing a role he's like i'm always me i just dial up certain parts of my personality or dial down other parts to match that character that I'm playing, but it's still me. And mm. it's really good advice. And that's, this is what I, I, I tell people too, who I, I coach with uh, like on camera stuff is that you've got to bring yourself. It starts with you. You can't pretend to be something that you're not. And it, when I was first going in on my auditions, you know, I was like, oh yeah, everything's cool. Everything's great. You know, oh yeah, I can do this role. And <laughs> you know, there's just, there's no authenticity there. And it wasn't until after my hundredth audition and I'm, I've gone on over 2000 auditions in my career. After a while, you just get to a point where like, oh, You're look, this is who I am, man. Take it or leave it. And, and the casting directors would be like, yes, that's what we want. That's a real person. <laughs> okay, roll the cameras start talking, do that. <laughs> it's like, do we what? want this guy. I'm just angry and I'm frustrated that I haven't gotten an acting role. Yes. Just keep saying the lines. You're hired. <laughs> Dude, this, this is so spot on. I was watching Shawshank Redemption yesterday. Uh, I've watched it once such a long time ago and I rewatched the, the, it's like obviously a legendary movie. And that's essentially what happened. You know, when Morgan Friedman goes for the last time uh, inside the, the parole room where they're doing like the approval rejection. Yeah. And he, yeah. And for, uh, for the, that one time, he just kind of broke down and was like, listen, I don't give a shit. Stop faking this. This is all BS. This is what it is. All right. Uh, if you're, if you're asking if I'm a changed man, so yes, I true. am. And then they're like, yeah. okay, well, I, all right. <laughs> oh, this, is what, this is what we wanted the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, yep. It's an interesting comparison, man. Um, I got one more for you, dude. Um, especially given everything you've done, the 2000 auditions, all, all the sets that you've been on out with the new life that you're, that you're living. What's advice you'd give for people in their twenties or thirties, you know, looking to be what Colin was, uh, you know, when, when, when he first made that move to LA and, and ventured out into the unknown. Just show up, mm-hmm. take risks, get out of your comfort zone, try new things. Cause as we get older, it, it's harder to try new things. And I would say, when you're in your 20s and let's say you you are having the pressure from your parents to go to college and do something i would say i would say focus on creating that stability in your life so knowing that i had a college degree behind me i think allowed me to be as as successful as i was 
because I knew that if the whole Hollywood thing didn't work out, I had something to, to fall back on. Now, some people would say that when you have a plan B, you won't work as hard for your plan A. So I think it varies for different people. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest key is when you're younger to just explore, try as many different things as you can. Um, just know that everyone in life has fears and insecurities. And I don't care if you're an Academy Award winning actor or some, you know, someone fresh out of college and not sure what you're going to do with your life. That's just the human condition. And the more that we can just accept where we're at and not beat ourselves up and, uh, and approach things with a sense of humbleness instead of a, a sense of entitlement where you just show up and you got to do the grunt work and you got to put the time in. My first acting teacher said to us when we first showed up, she said, it is going to take you 10 years to be a working actor. Mm. It is, you're not going to get your first job for 10 years and it's going to take you 20 years to be a good working actor. If you're not ready to put in that time of that type of time or commitment, there's the door. And I think that's something that people need to realize too, is that if you really want something bad enough, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes, uh, you know, a commitment, but make sure it's something you're passionate about. Cause another story I read was Jim Carrey's dad. Jim Carrey talks about how his dad was the, one of the funniest guys he ever knew. Yeah. He was a comedian. Could have had his own TV show, whatever, but his dad chose to be, do the safe thing and become an accountant. And halfway through, I guess, uh, Jim's dad's career, whatever, he got let go from his job. So Jim was like, well, shit, if I'm going to get let go from a job, it might as well be a job that I love (laughs) rather than a job that I think I should be doing. So just find out what it is you love because life is way too short to do something that you hate and your, your willpower can only last so long. Eventually you will break. The truth will come out. Yeah. They're very similar in entrepreneurship as well. Right. Uh, Reed Hoffman, who's the founder of, of LinkedIn. And I always quote this. He, he talks about this like Valley of the shadow, which every entrepreneur goes through, right? It's like this dark period where you question everything. You think this is not for me. This is going to fail, you know, and he went through it when he was building LinkedIn as well. And once you get over that chip, man, uh, especially yeah. if, it, if it's a good idea, obviously, and it's tested, et cetera, it works out. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Well, I That's appreciate cool. you calling. Yeah. Elon Musk described, Elon Musk described entrepreneurship as it's like waking up every morning and eating glass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so you got to love what you do because if you, because you do, man, entrepreneurship is, entrepreneurship is not easy. And uh, you got, you just got to love it. Dude, th- th- there's yeah. another quote too that says, it's like jumping off a cliff and building a parachute on the way down. So uh, <laughs> I love both of them. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man. Thanks for doing this. This was an awesome yeah, combo. Thanks, and- if you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.